Okay, good afternoon to everyone. Uh, we'll try and be efficient in time so we don't delay uh, the next uh, session. Good afternoon. Our panel will deal with the operational excellence as a competitive advantage, which I guess it's a mouthful after uh, all these panels and uh, uh, presentations carried out throughout the day. I will just comment that uh, we have spoken already and many have presented topics soon, uh, and I look at the plan now, environment, welfare, uh, and cr crew welfare, and optimizing technical SIP management and so forth, SIP safety. So I think the operational excellence probably comes as the last to uh, put everything under one, under one umbrella. And my name is George Teriakidis, and I'm working for DNVGL, the class society, and I'm uh, happy to have uh, with me here four gentlemen who are quite experienced, all of them, in their own uh, field and companies. To my left, Mr. George uh, Usanjopoulos, who's uh, head of uh, safety and vetting in Almi Tankers, a naval architect who's uh, been in Almi around eight, eight years and a little bit more. Mr. Marcos Vasilikos, managing director of Eurobulk, marine engineer and studies in Newcastle and working in shipping industry since 1985 or 86. And Mr. Kuleris. He's the technical director of Prime Marine Management with a long experience. I only have to say that uh, reading his CV, he started in shipping uh, two years after I was born. So that says a lot, I guess. And Mr. Babilis, uh, last but not least, chief executive officer of Stealth Maritime Corporation. He's been since 2000 in uh, Stealth and since 1990 in uh, shipping industry. So uh, the way we're going to proceed is that uh, each gentleman will have uh, a presentation, uh, putting across his uh, points on uh, operational excellence, and then we'll uh, basically proceed with a couple of questions and hopefully wrapping up everything within half hour or a little bit earlier. So uh, George, if you take the floor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, George. So, the question is, some may argue, if it's of value to invest in operational excellence. You see in a market where we're just price takers, where the, the, the freight is going to be determined by the market price and by the supply and demand, and not by the quality of the services that we provide, someone might ask if it's worth investing and how much in operational Excellence. Well, we know there are many benefits. So many have been discussed from the morning in this room. You have your vessels on hire for a long time. You know your insurance costs, just to name a few of them. You have accurate financial results. You have a slight preference from the customer who knows that they can trust their cargo on your vessel. And of course, you have a peace of mind. However, I'll put the question again. Is it actually worth investing, and how much, in operational excellence? Well, in order to know if something is worth investing, you must know what it's costing you and what it's going to give you back in return. Well, my view is that you don't really need and you shouldn't go and do the math. It's just like a leap of faith. You just go there because you believe that through this way, you'll be, the world will be better on the other side. Now, operational excellence has many different perspectives, and there are many different areas where you can see it. 
I will be focusing on only one of them, and I'll give you two reasons why. And that's the people's operations, the people element, the human element. This has also been discussed quite a lot today. And in particular, because the people operations is also a very wide range, uh, is a very wide topic, I'll be focusing on three areas, first of which is culture, leadership, and collective participation. Now, I'll try to give you two reasons why I believe all shipping companies should be focusing to that direction, to the people's operations. This slide is from ExxonMobil. It's quite recent. And Exxon here is explaining to us that around 20 years ago, they started checking our ships with the SARE program. They checked our facilities, our equipment, the hardware, and if it's in proper condition. Over the last 10 years, since 2004, through TMSA, which has been addressed quite a lot today, they have been looking at our management systems, our procedures, our policies, and how we do things. All these things have been improving our performance with regards to incidents, and we're excelling in the, in the health, safety, quality, and environmental performance. Now, since last year, they're explaining to us that they're going to be focusing on the human element. Now, if Exxon is pointing to that direction, then I definitely want to have a look myself. Another reason I believe the human element is so important is this uh, statistics from BIMCO and ICS a couple of years back. You've probably come across it. Um, it has to do with the um, uh, supply and demand of seafarers. And as per these statistics, uh, by 2025, we're going to be looking at a shortage of around 150,000 seafarers. Now, 150,000 seafarers is around 20% of the seafarers' current pool. Now, with um, this, uh, when, when it comes to developing people, uh, 2025, that's eight years from now, is just around the corner. I mean, it's coming. We should already be looking at that. If I want to feel safe in an organization or put my money in an organization, it would be an organization that's really paying attention to people's operations and the human element. So for the three things I promised I'll talk to you about, culture first. Ask yourself the question, does everybody in your organization have a good understanding of your company's culture? Does everybody know? I mean, culture came up so many times today in the forum about safety culture, and it's not only safety, it's wider. So do all the people know exactly what the values of the organization are, the beliefs of the organization? Are the behaviors of the people appropriate and as required by the culture of the company? As Peter Drager said, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And in order not to see the negative part, I mean, what a bad culture can do to the strategy of your company, if you turn it the other way around, imagine what a proper and a good culture can do for your organization. It can make it, it's, it's like a tidal wave. It can make it go faster in all areas. Then leadership. Now, I'm not talking just about your top guys having the leadership skills. You can train them on that. And I'm not talking about getting the good leader and putting him on top. I'm talking about defining a clear leadership model within the organization. That's something you should do. This is going to give the leaders the ability to actually know what is expected from them and for all the followers also to know what they should expect from the leaders. And this in combination with the culture that we were describing before can create a great advantage for an organization. 
Finally, this is Marvin Wayne's board. It's called the learning curve. This is showing that around 100 years ago, when organizations had problems, then experts were coming in to solve the problems. Then the trend was that everybody was solving the problems within the organization. After that, 50 years back, you saw that experts were coming in to improve the systems. You had the consultants and those guys coming in to tell you how to do things. They were not coming to solve problems, but to improve your systems. And by now, all the modern companies are working in a way where everybody within the organization is going to be improving the systems. Now we're talking about the empowerment of the people, listening to everybody in the organization. This came up a lot today as well. Listen to everybody. Keep your ear up. Now, this is an 11-minute video. I strongly suggest you note down and have a look at. Invest 11 minutes to have a look. It will give you a great perspective of what I'm talking about, about empowering your people. It's called Greatness by David Marquette, and it talks about a commander of a nuclear submarine, Santa Fe, US submarine, who actually went towards this direction and made a difference. Strongly suggest spend some time towards this. I'll leave you to read this slide for yourself, so thank you very much. Thank you, George. Definitely some things to uh, take with us. Uh, I'll invite the second uh, participant, Mr. Vasilikos, to put his point across. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Teriakidis has uh, exposed my age by mentioning that uh, I have been working in shipping for over 30 years, uh, but uh, so it is. Um, so, best industry practices. Uh, in our business, uh, the dry sector, bulk carriers and containers, um, best industry practices are not uh, mandatory, even though there is a tendency of becoming uh, mandatory, as the previous panel has mentioned. Um, we, we can um, draw the various uh, practices from, uh, best industry practices that is, from various organizations, international organizations like uh, BIMCO, ICS, uh, PNI clubs, or um, codes like uh, ISO, uh, SOX, Arbanis Oxley, um, and of course vetting companies. Um, best uh, industry practices uh, focus on various aspects um, of our business, uh, like uh, crew and vessels uh, safety, hygiene on board, and in the office, of course, cargo and third-party uh, property protection, environmental awareness and performance, operational health and safety, corporate governance and transparency. And of course, there are also other uh, functions I've only mentioned, and few, a few of those. There are various uh, instruments 
uh, how we can um, measure once, of course, we have applied those practices in our companies, um, everybody, the top management at least, would like to monitor and measure um, the performance of the company and um, if there is an improvement. Um, so there are various systems. Uh, one of the most uh, widely accepted uh, system is that of KPIs, Key Performance Indicators. Um, I will try to explain briefly what uh, this system is doing. Um, we can define various functions within our organizations, um, which uh, we call uh, specific performance indicators, and I have listed uh, a few in uh, that slide. Um, which is health and safety, uh, human um, resources management, environmental, navigational safety, operational, security, technical. Uh, you may expand uh, the list uh, as you wish, of course. For each uh, of those um, specific uh, functions, um, the company may define the so-called KPIs, the key performance indicators, which um, are measurable values that demonstrate how effectively a company is achieving its key business objectives. Um, the list is endless, uh, of course, but I can mention uh, a few functions, a few indicators that a company uh, may, be, may be interested in uh, uh, following up, like navigational incidents, which is collisions, groundings, uh, budget performance, poor state control performance, uh, conditions of class imposed, uh, carbon dioxide, emission efficiency, and the list uh, goes on. Crew recycling rates, you can, uh, you can name it. Um, KPIs may be benchmarked against the targets which uh, are set internally by the company um, or against uh, industry averages or against uh, other similar companies. Um, the last is a little bit difficult because of our culture, of uh, the culture in uh, shipping, uh, which does not promote cooperation between companies, so information exchange is a little bit uh, difficult. So this last uh, benchmarking, um, I don't know whether it is achievable for most of the companies. The advantages of uh, uh, having such uh, systems uh, in the company, uh, I think I have listed a few, like the reduction uh, of accidents, reduction of operational errors, improvement of fleet uh, monitoring, better ship's performance, and ship's utilization. 
these are some tangible uh, benefits. Uh, I have also listed uh, a few intangible benefits, like the improvement of relationship with uh, charters, uh, mortgages, enhancing investors' uh, confidence, easier and more effective environmental compliance, and easier transition to the future regulatory compliance. Um, one may ask if uh, all this uh, adds value to the company and uh, if it uh, reduces uh, the operational cost of the ships, because this is uh, an issue in the very competitive environment that we are living in. Uh, I sincerely believe that uh, this is the case, and um, in, if we properly apply best industry practices in our companies, eventually we will have uh, some results, and uh, I'm sure the speakers in the panel may expand on this. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you very much, Mr. Vasilikos. May I uh, pass the podium Mr. Pularis, please? Good evening. Uh, ship owners or operators are not in a position to influence the freight market. They could perhaps do this by avoiding uh, ordering, uh, but experience has shown that they cannot uh, resist going to the yards when the market is high or when the prices are low. What they may do though, and this in a limited way, is to try to control the operating costs of their vessels. I'm using the expression in a limited way because uh, the other stakeholders of the marine industry tend to have a larger say on how ships are run than they had in the past. Flag administrations, IMO, port state, charters, terminals, insurers, NGOs, activists, lobby groups, unions, vie for imposition of layers of regulation and requirements that impact on the vessel's operation and result in costs. Most of the above stakeholders are not normally required to, or cannot be forced to contribute towards these costs so there is no incentive for them to uh, abstain from this uh, regulatory storm that we heard before. Charters in particular have no inclination to pay anybody a premium when they can avoid it. I always remember that in the aftermath of the Exxon Valdez and the resultant uh, ecological catastrophe, uh, that the owners that were quick enough to order double-hull tankers enjoyed briefly a two-tier market uh, against single-hull vessels. This was short-lived, and this difference uh, tapered off, and modern double-hull tankers got the same as older single-hulls. When asked a high-profile uh, chartering manager of one of the big old majors, uh, replied that he did not feel that he had to pay even one dollar more for quality. Quality had to be provided, he said, hence or otherwise. And I think this attitude uh, goes on. 
even today. Speaking for the tanker industry, the users of each vessel have put over the years a very sophisticated and multi-layered system of appraisals of vessels and their operators. Uh, in an age of information sharing and transparency, the means at the ship user's disposal to manage their risk, as is now the catchword, is awesome. Uh, and whoever aspires to do business with them has to go along. It should be added that uh, they are not happy with parties that go only for compliance, just to satisfy the requirements. They are looking for true believers, for companies that are proactive, not reactive. And their vast experience ensures that they know who is who. Having said that, uh, we have come to the conclusion that it is up to the individual shipping company to adopt a strategy of best industry practices uh, that will enable the particular company to uh, compete for business in this environment. The alternative would be to try and operate in fringe markets where lower standards are acceptable. But uh, even there, uh, high quality tonnage presents itself when uh, no other business is available and uh, they can elbow low quality tonnage very easily, as West Africa is one example, where uh, although it was a depository of uh, very old and uh, substandard tonnage, uh, when there was no business elsewhere, new buildings would go straight from the yards to West Africa. Usually the challenge for those responsible for running of the vessels is to convince the money men that uh, adopting best industry practices and their entailing costs make sense uh, and in, uh, enhances competitiveness. Not an easy task, especially in poor markets. Um, another thing that we have come to realize is that uh, it is not possible to implement piecemeal uh, uh, best industry practices. Uh, they are, they are uh, necessary in all aspects of ship management. Spending in one sector and starving another sector will, will not have very uh, positive results. For, for tankers, and we heard before there was a difference of opinion about whether uh, bulkers or tankers should be uh, should be uh, considered uh, in a different light. Uh, that dry cargo uh, does not have the, uh, the 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 tasks the the risks uh, as a tanker. Of course, uh, tankers are much more uh, complex and uh, uh, they can create uh, huge problems uh, from pollution, etc. But uh, if one compares the, 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 the uh, life, the loss of life from marine accidents between the tankers and the uh, dry bulkers, uh, dry cargo vessels and bulkers over a number of years, the loss of life of seamen is, uh, is heavily uh, caused by, by, by uh, bulkers. Uh, than by tankers. So, I mean, uh, we are uh, all for uh, 
clean seas and, and, uh, and birds that are not uh, covered in oil, but what about loss of life? I think that uh, um, all sectors of, of shipping sh should, be, uh, should have high standards. I mean, it's not possible to... Now, I can speak only for um, tanker management because we do not have in our company, we do not have any, any dry cargo vessels. So our uh, guidelines uh, for the sector we are in is the TMSA, the tanker management self-audit system. And the latest version, which is the TMSA 3, uh, is uh, more or less uh, renders the, the previous version uh, obsolete. Uh, the best industry, apart from this TMSA, best industry practice may, may also emanate from uh, various industry bodies and organizations mentioned previously, but also can be established by individual companies in accordance with their, with their vision and, uh, uh, and what they want to, uh, to achieve. Um, of course, uh, the, the dry cargo has, the, uh, has other guidelines, but uh, TMSA, I think, is, uh, is, is quite a useful, uh, a useful guideline uh, where you, uh, all other sectors can also pick and choose, as we said before. Um, Intertanko, ISGOT for gas carriers uh, are also uh, sources where one can uh, get some inspiration, so to speak. Um, now, the BIPs uh, can be categorized uh, in many, uh, in many uh, aspects of ship management. For example, the, 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 um, the TMSA 3 uh, has 13 subjects, whereas TMSA, uh, the previous TMSA had uh, 12. Cyber, uh, cyber security has been, uh, has been added here before. Um, now, the BIPs, the best industry practices will not result in, in, in the lowest possible uh, OPEXs uh, in absolute terms, or even over a 12-month period, uh, and may even show a different picture between a new ship which is below five years old or an older ship that is over uh, 10 years old. These are two different animals, and, and, and uh, they need uh, most probably uh, a different approach. Uh, but over a longer period, the savings uh, and therefore competitiveness becomes more evident. And also it is coupled with access to business that would be otherwise denied uh, to lowest standard uh, operators. Uh, vessel users want uh, to transport their cargoes as cheaply as possible and trouble-free. If they had any interest in the technical challenges, they would be in shipping too. But they're too smart for that, maybe, most probably. So um, we believe that uh, even in the most difficult of times, that uh, there are uh, best industry practices that uh, are forced upon the ship operators if they want to be uh, in a particular game. 
but also the 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 uh, the company itself uh, can choose between uh, these and uh, and and do the best it can with the resources it has. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Kuleris, for the interesting points, and Mr. Babilis. Uh, good afternoon. I have the privilege to <laughs> to wrap up, let's say, a little bit. We are in the last uh, session, so I wish to focus on two uh, issues mentioned uh, in the previous panels. <clears throat> One dear colleague said in the previous panel that uh, safety is a journey. And I agree to that. Uh, in the same manner, excellence is a journey. Uh, <clears throat> excellence is, a not, is not a plateau that we reach and we stop over there. It's a continuous effort for improvement. The second, uh, the second issue that was touched during uh, this day is the importance of the the crew, the personnel well-being, uh, the culture, and all these related things. So this also has to do with the operational excellence, because according to my view, there are two folds, one on the individual basis and one on the corporate level. Uh, on the individual basis, the individual is striving for excellence at work, and if the individual, the crew or the office employee or whoever strives for excellence, he gets a, a sense of self-fulfillment. And this leads to, a, to job satisfaction from the quality of work that has been achieved. In this way, the morale of the people is increased and leads back to more quality of work and then we end in a virtue circle of personal satisfaction, job performance, and efficiency. Similarly, on a corporate level, uh, having employees striving for excellence, provided that the systems and the philosophy and the culture of the corporation is uh, the correct one, uh, will benefit even more because the final excellence will not, will not be the summary of the individual excellence, but it will be multiplied by the company's culture and the company's uh, structure. Uh, <clears throat> in this way, uh, adopting the best industry practices protects uh, the company from regulatory breaches, improves company's image in a more transparent environment, provides legal leverage, and finally, comfort to existing and prospective clients, suppliers, subcontractors, and service providers. In addition, and combining this with my previous comment, it attracts high-quality candidates for employment who share similar values, leading to another virtuous circle. Finally, 
quantifying the benefits of operational excellence into financial results or competitive advantage, I think it's a little bit tricky. Uh, it is not a straightforward task because in most cases the benefits are hidden under lost opportunities due to the lack of adoption of uh, best industry practices and operational uh, excellence. And these lost opportunities in many cases are not uh, easily identifiable. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Babilis, and all gentlemen for your uh, input. Uh, we are pressured in time, so uh, I'll just take the lead and just have one question, and maybe one of you or some of you would like to comment. Now, you all, uh, we all heard about culture, crew, uh, people, uh, how this is a journey, and you cannot basically achieve it uh, just like that, the operational excellence. I would just, uh, coming from a class society as well, and thinking about other stakeholders in the maritime industry beyond the vetting and the charters which are important to you, do you think that with all uh, the actions that you're implementing within your companies, in your operations, in the office, with the crew, in terms of safety, and which all lead to operational excellence, that they are actually recognized by everybody in the maritime industry, or that there is a need of uh, people simply saying, uh, that people look simply on compliance and don't look on the extra things that you're actually carrying out within the company. Like anyone to uh, take a comment on that? Yes? Um, there is not a simple answer to that. Um, obviously, there are some market participants uh, which uh, appreciate uh, uh, the application of uh, best industry practices and quality uh, of their partner, of their business partner. Um, uh, charters, uh, I think, are one of those uh, uh, partners who appreciate uh, quality, even though, as we've said before, their prime objective is price, uh, but to establish long-term relationships with uh, charters, uh, they uh, need to have confidence in the organization, and this can only be achieved by the application of BPIs. Um, other organizations um, may not appreciate the quality as much. I can mention uh, class societies, for example, uh, if I may, um, but I think they do not have uh, such a culture or they have, not, um, they have not managed to pass such culture to their clients. Um, the underwriters uh, is another interesting area insurance underwriters, uh, who I think do appreciate by indirectly by looking at better loss records of the company. Uh, I don't know if Mr. Kuleris or anybody Fair else enough. Can, yes, uh, of course. Uh, Mr. Uh, yes, uh, the, the underwriters usually uh, uh, put a premium on, on uh, on quality, uh, they, when their loss ratio is, is uh, positive, when they make money from you, and because 
the uh, insurance uh, industry is uh, soft for many years, uh, then uh, good quality owners that have a very good uh, uh, record can uh, press uh, can uh, press them for uh, lower premia, which which leads to competitiveness because the uh, uh, insurance. Uh, uh, part of the OPEX is, is quite important. But Thank they are one of the few that appreciate <laughs> all this effort. I see. Mr. Babilis, you want to add something? I also agree. Uh, the picture is a little bit grey. There are areas that uh, quality shipping is appreciated, as the example of uh, uh, insurance. And there are other areas that it is claimed that it is appreciated, could be appreciated at a point, but not significantly. Mm. And uh, as uh, said earlier about the market uh, uh, freight rates and so on, uh, if it was in an ideal world that uh, it would be appreciated, then uh, reading uh, the freight rates, we could see two or three different uh, cases. We could see uh, high-quality tonnage, uh, medium-quality tonnage, and low-quality tonnage rates. But I haven't seen any kind yes. of categorization like that. You may see for vessels of this age, that age, and the other age, but not about the, quali not the actual quality. quality. Yes. So I don't believe that actually uh, quality is appreciated by the market to the extent at least that it is claimed to be appreciated. Thank you. Yes, please, George, the last comment. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, I agree uh, with everybody who commented on that. I'd just like to add, just from a different perspective, um, if we went 20 years back, we would see that the quality departments did not even exist in the old majors companies. And I'm talking about the tanker industry because this is where I'm coming from. Nowadays, at least they have the option to give the green light or the red light to a vessel before it's being chartered. So they will show a preference to quality operators. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 or 15 years from now, we actually start seeing some premium for the high quality operators, which is something everybody, I believe, should be striving for. Okay, thank you very much. So uh, I think we'll have to wrap it up here. It, uh, we've seen that basically all of your companies and many others are doing quite a lot in order to achieve an operational excellence and uh, show this to their customers. And as mentioned, uh, some other stakeholders like class societies probably should take a look into that and award it one way or the other, which I agree actually. So uh, I would like to thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time, preparing, and giving your views uh, to me and everyone. So we'll wrap it up here. Thank you very much. We had a very long, uh, very interesting, and very productive day, and I'm delighted to see that everybody has stayed, of course, for the highlight of our event. Uh, we have the great pleasure of uh, paying our respects uh, to Mr. John Platidakis today. Uh, you all know him. Mr. Lascaridis is going to introduce him. 
Uh, every year at this conference, we uh, recognize um, uh, an industry personality for his or her commitment to best industry practices. Uh, and uh, Mr. Plasidakis embodied that uh, both as uh, under his capacity as uh, at the helm of uh, Intercargo and, of course, during his very long uh, business uh, career. So, uh, without any more delay, I would kindly ask Mr. Lascaridis, who is the president of the European uh, Community Shipowners Association, to uh, come and introduce uh, Mr. Platsidakis and uh, hand him the, uh, the award. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, I would like to thank the organizers for allowing me and bestowing me the honor to speak to you, to such an illustrious congregation, and of course, even more so the pleasure of introducing Mr. Platsidakis in a minute. But before we get, we get to that, uh, you will not be spared of listening of a few thoughts which um, I would like to present to you. Uh, I'm sure yes, uh, the whole day today, everything that could possibly be said about best practices in shipping uh, has been said, perhaps to a great detail. I've only followed uh, the last panel and a bit of the previous one. And I would like to digress a little bit out of what I feel has been the thrust of the main discussions today and just give you a few random thoughts. Now, I feel that the discussion has centered today around our, what we understand as our shipping world, as our shipping universe, which basically is what we Greeks mean when we speak about shipping, which is our ships, our charters, our cargo, our crews, so the business we're really doing. Um, having the experience of the last two years uh, going to and coming from Brussels and other fora, I can tell you, and this is something that we really need to pay attention to, the shipping we understand is different from what the rest of the world understands under shipping. Now, the stakeholders, the regulators, the government bodies, the NGOs, everybody else apart from us ship owners, understand under shipping what we characterize as the shipping cluster. And you might say, well, there can't be efficient and, and, and profitable shipping without a well-functioning cluster. But when these people address the issues that have to do generally with transportation, they address them in the context of the cluster, not of the ship owning alone as we tend to do. So this is the first the first important um, uh, question. Now, best practices not only in shipping but everywhere else are not an exact science. This is my feeling and I think this has also been addressed today, although there are over the last years uh, efforts to kind of systemize and structure and regulate this what with the KPIs, the key performance indicators, or TMSA, or different other instruments which one can devise and introduce in order to measure one's performance. But 
it's still not an exact science. It's like when we used to say and feel, well, this is a good guy, without actually specifying precisely what we mean, but deep inside us, we knew what this means, we knew what it implies, and we knew you know, the, the allure of, of, of this expression. So in shipping, in our type of shipping, in our shipping universe, in our ships, in our companies, uh, we have at length discussed what we can do, what we should be doing, and the benefits that we are drawing from using such best practices in a broader context, of course, we have seen that, and I'm sure we all know and we all remember very well these examples, uh, one of the first times, not the first times perhaps, but when the term was used very much was, I, I, I remind you, of the issue of the Somali piracy. For a long time nobody was doing anything until the magic words, best industry practices was introduced and of course then we all knew what we have to do, hardening the vessels, citadels, uh, increased watches and finally also the armed guards and the problem all but disappeared. Another issue which I'm not sure if everyone is very familiar with is the question of ship recycling where people speak very much about best industry practices. There is a big debate in Europe which is quite confused and I must say uh, not, not too concise and not too clear. Uh, on the other hand, there is in place today the Hong Kong Convention, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, but this also rotates, it's, it's, um, it's coming into force, rotates around certain countries, especially the countries which have large ship recycling industries like India, confirming to what the rest of the participants in the convention understand as best, as best practices. And un unless and until this happens, clearly uh, the convention will not come into force. Of course, there are also best practices in soft issues, as was discussed during the last panel. Um, I have said that there are efforts going on today to actually organize and structure this in a better way. There are also examples of best practices leading to direct benefits and direct economic and financial benefits for the ship owning community. Take a simple example like the CO2. Now, the CO2 and um, greenhouse, greenhouse gases debate is probably the subject which mostly dominates the discussion in shipping today. But let's remember that using best practices in this area and trying to concretize them in, in whatever measures we can take to make the ships more, operation, more efficient and operationally more viable lead to direct benefits to our pockets. But at the same time, they lead to direct, concrete benefits for the, sorry, to concrete results for the benefit of the entire greenhouse debate in lowering emissions. Uh, finally, 
I would like to pick up on the last question which was discussed in the previous panel which slightly touched upon I meant to expand a little bit on which is well we have discussed what happens in our, in our own companies in our own uh, relation with with the markets and, and the regular uh, regulators and everybody else but I would like very quickly to <coughs> give you a sort of bird's-eye view of some of the issues that we are discussed today putting them into a context of the general world, but I am more familiar, European shipping policy. And if you look at the introductory document of, of today's conference and the topics which are mentioned there and which have been the subject of the discussion today, you find some out of the eight or nine, you find one, two, three, four, five, six, which are directly related and, in fact, are almost synonymous with some of the main points which are discussed in European shipping policy today. The interested challenges and the roadmap ahead, the environmental debate, crew situation, connecting ports, vessels and people, and best industry practices for corporate culture and competitive advantage. Now, in Europe, people are using different words, but in essence, they are saying the same thing. Interested challenges and the road map ahead is one of the topics, the main topics and the main pillars of the European shipping policy as produced and, and uh, practiced by the European Commission and the European Commissioner for Transport. And I'm sure you all may have heard Mrs. Bulch speaking about her four points policy. So the way ahead, the future of the European maritime policy is one thing, environmental regulation and compliance, this normally goes under the debate of greenhouse gas debates and decarbonization of shipping in the future. Crew welfare, we call this the social agenda, which covers almost exactly what is mentioned here. Connecting ports, vessels and people this is dealt with under a funny, not funny, but a slightly incomprehensive uh, catchword which we call the European single window and it covers uh, a lot of things under it like um, intelligent European regulation, unification of procedures between different modes of transport, between ports, ships and everybody else. This is the European single window, and of course the best industry practices in relation to competitive advantages is the fourth pillar of the European shipping policy, which is the competitiveness of the fleet and the competitiveness of the European shipping industry compared to other shipping centers outside Europe. And funnily enough, whilst this is the proclaimed policy of the European regulator, our regulator, with whom we have to battle every day, is the same set of issues that has arisen out of a recent, a few months ago in, in, in April, a quite private and secluded seminar which uh, the Commission has, has staged and which I had been invited to, to take part, which again spoke about the challenges for shipping over the next 20 or 30 years. 
And perhaps unsurprisingly, almost all the issues which I've just mentioned and which are just the issues or many of the issues which have been dealt in your conference today have been the same, but with slight, with slight differences. I can perhaps tell you that the top, on the top of the list of the challenges or the likely developments in the next 20 or 30 years, digitalization of shipping has come out on top. The single European window, the unification and simplification of procedures has also featured very high in the agenda. Perhaps a little bit surprisingly, because we don't speak too much about this, has been the issue of dealing with the rights of European shipping in foreign countries. And remember, European shipping in the sense, as I tried to explain before, being understood in, in Europe and by the European stakeholders. And they are not only the European Commission, there's a whole array of them. There's the European Council of Ministers, there's the European Parliament, there are the NGOs and environmentalists, and all of them have an extremely important influence and bearing on the way um, the regulators think and decide. So, the point of trying to achieve for European shipping the same rights as are afforded today to Far Easterners uh, has been very important and there have been a lot of complaints why should Chinese or others be able to buy ports and other installations in Europe and it's near impossible for a European company to go and do the same in China. And just to finish, one observation which I made and came to my mind is we have discussed this issue of best practices uh, in what you could term the, let's say, the established way. We should do things in the proper way, we should do things in the way they develop, we should do things in the way we are trying to improve things, to, to improve the systems with which or under which our companies work. And I would like to simply flag out the issue of something which has become extremely fashionable these days and which we call disruption. Now, what is disruption? I think disruption is a, and which is in great fashion, I must tell you, and not only in shipping. Now, what is this disruption? I think disruption is what we old people used to call thinking out of the box, except it not only limits itself, limits itself in thinking, but it actually calls about doing something. And this doing something is turning your company upside down and think everything from the beginning and try to do things in a completely different way to the one you have been doing it today. Now, quite frankly, <laughs> I thought this was utter garbage, uh, quite frankly, until I've read a big article uh, and a big interview by Tom Enders. Now, I'm sure many of you know that Tom Enders is the chief executive of the entire Airbus group. And this guy has, has delegated to his chief technical officer, his chief engineer, to look at the entire Airbus, Airbus group from the point of view of disruption. Forget everything they are doing, forget the way they are doing it, and look at it under a completely different way, which is challenge the 
existing way of doing things and trying to see whether different revolutionary ideas can bring a better <coughs> result. Now, we in our ship-owning companies are not that far, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I think we are doing extremely fine the way we do. We are improving ourselves all the time. Greek and European shipping enjoy a perfect reputation. And once again, I would like to thank the organizers, and I would like to thank you for your patience to listen to me. And uh, Mr. Chairman, this is all I propose to say, and I, I would take any questions if there are any. Otherwise, I think we should proceed to the most important and pleasant part of the proceedings, and to do that, Mr. maybe invite Yanis. Mr. Laskarius, before you invite him, uh, if you allow me, I would like to extend a special thanks to you for joining us today. Because besides, of course, knowing Mr. Plasidex for a long time, we were very lucky uh, to have you, given uh, your uh, standing in the industry, but also your institutional role. Are you sure? I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very sure. So I, I wanted to say that uh, I'm particularly honored and, and, and happy to have you here. Well, the, the, the honor is all mine.